Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. And you're saying, you know what, I, I just can't seem to break through this. You know, that last song was so appropriate because Jesus really is our champion. Can you say amen? And what he accomplished on the cross really is for us. And he made a way for us where there is no other way. But I want you to listen to a verse of scripture. The Bible says this in Deuteronomy 31.8. I pray this all the time because this is one of those verses that gets on the inside. It says, do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail nor abandon you. The reason I love that so much is that for the first part is the he says, I will personally. It's not like God's just sending an angel. God says, no, no, I'm going to go before you. I'm not sending in. Please don't misunderstand. I don't believe angels are flunkies. But in comparison to God himself, he's, he, he's not sending someone else. He's sending. He's, he's getting up. He's, he's taking the initiative to go before you. So I don't know what it is in your life that you are carrying or, or, or the burden that you have, but I could tell you the promise of the Lord is this, is that he's personally going before you. But he says something interesting in the first part of this. He says, don't be afraid or discouraged. In other words, it's, it's an admonishment to us. He's saying, make a choice. And that's one of the things I think that we often forget is we have the choice. You can choose to be afraid and discouraged. Or you can choose to say, you know what, God's in front of me. God's making a way where there is no way. God sees the challenge before I see the challenge. God knows what I need before I know what I need. And God is going to take care of it. And it says, and here he gives the guarantee, he said he will neither fail nor abandon. God's not going to fail. He's going to get all the way through this. And God doesn't get tired and say, you know what, I've had enough. You're on your own. See you later. (laughs) Hope you make it. See you on the other side. That's not the heart of God. God does not abandon us. He does not forsake us. So I want to encourage you today. And what I want to do before we get into the message is take a moment and I want to pray over you. So if you're in this place and you're dealing with this, what I want you to do is make a choice right now to say, you know what, God, I choose to see you. I'm not going to look at this discouragement. I'm not going to look at this fear. I'm not going to do it. It's not mine. God did not give me this. This is not mine. I'm only going to receive what God gave me. I am not going to receive what hell delivers. He may deliver it, but I'm not taking reception of it. Can you say amen? So let's pray. Father, right now in Jesus' name, I just come before you and Lord, I lift up every person in this room right now that's dealing with some form of discouragement and heaviness right now. 
Father, it doesn't matter what the, the area is. It doesn't matter what it is in their life. We know, Father, that you've gone before us. Lord, that you've made a way, that you've made provision. God, that you've taken care of the enemy. And Lord, all we, is required of us is to make a choice to not fear and to not be discouraged. So, Father, right now, I pray that your spirit just begin to move in this place. Lord, encouraging hearts and lives. God, encourage us and strengthen us. And Father, we pray this prayer in the confidence knowing that you will neither fail nor will you abandon us. Your righteous right hand upholds us, God. And we thank you, Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that you have defeated the enemy, that you are our champion, and we give you all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise. Isn't God good? Amen. I just love Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, this morning, if I can get this iPad to work, you ever notice that technology is great until it don't work? Yeah. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. We're only going to be looking at one verse of Scripture, but I want to talk to you about uh, uh, maybe an extension of what we talked last week. You know, last week, the, the message that, that, that I ministered to you last week was really on my heart heavy about community, and in, more in particularly that we love one another, that we love one another. You know, the Bible tells us, Jesus speaking, he says, the world will know that you are my disciples for your love one for another. And you know what? That, that sounds like it would be easy to do in the context of a church. It sounds like that we would just come together and that naturally we would just begin to love one another and fellowship and we would connect and do all of that. But that does not naturally come to us. We have to work at that. We have to put effort in. Because our nature is, our nature, that, that old man, that, that old man that's passed away that wants to kind of resurrect itself every now and then, that old part of our lives that Jesus did away with, that thing every now and then kind of wants to creep back and kind of wants us to get into some selfishness and self-centeredness and what about me and what about this and, you know, all of those different things. And, and we have to put that down and we have to say, no, 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 I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. I have a brand new identity. I am not old equipment with new parts, but I am an absolutely brand new creature in him, and therefore, I choose to connect with my brothers and sisters, and I can love them with a, the kind of love that God loves me with. Can you say amen? And I can do that. Now, that's fought. Hell does not want us connecting like that. Hell does not want us coming together in love and unity, because when we come together in love and unity, we become pretty powerful. We're already pretty powerful all by ourselves, but you get a group together. The Bible, Jesus saying, he goes, one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. This is a, that's a, imagine the number of people, I don't know how many's in this room uh, today, but you know, imagine how many we can put to flight with all of us as we come together. And that's why God wants us to dwell in unity. In fact, he says, dwelling in unity is a wonderful, blessed thing. It's, he said it's like the oil that ran down Aaron's beard. It's, this, it's like the anointing oil. It penetrates and it has power. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. 
And so we talked about that last week. In fact, what we said is we said that uh, that kind of dynamic in a church is actually a mark of revival. We said it was a mark of revival, that community coming together in love and in grace is what is, is, is the result of the Holy Spirit being poured out on our lives. The book of Acts, and Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, we would expect that in revival, right? We would expect that they would be listening to the apostles. But it goes on and it says, and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So right here in the midst of devoting themselves to doctrine or to the, 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 the apostles' teaching they're in, and prayer, they're fellowshipping. So here we have the priority of the New Testament church is the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and prayer. Fellowship. How many ever thought that fellowship would be a part of the spiritual activity of a church? But that's not just you and I getting together playing cards on a, on a Saturday night. What that is, is it's the Greek word koinonia that's talking about you and I sharing together, having partnership, being able to distribute, to meet needs, to serve one another, and to connect as a body. That's what he's talking about. And that is the mark of revival. Are you listening to what I'm saying this morning? That's what we need. These people were full of the Holy Spirit, walking in a dramatically new level of love, and it was literally the outcome of what the Holy Spirit was doing in that moment. Now this morning what I want to do is I want to talk to you about the enemy of that kind of revival, and it's called offense. And I want to expose this deadly trap of offense because too many people are becoming the victim of offense. How many have ever been offended? Raise your hand. No, no, please don't. <laughs> Doesn't, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand that if we were to go through and take inventory of the congregation today, that there's not a person in this room that has not been offended to some level or another. That seems to be a part of the human equation, doesn't it? In fact, Jesus goes on to say in our text, Luke chapter 17, verse 1, he says this, Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. Now, I have always been amazed by this verse because Jesus just puts it out there. You gotta, you gotta love the, the, uh, the boldness and the, 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 the I'm, I'm searching for the word, just the, 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 the starkness sometimes of Jesus' message. He just puts it out there. Just he, he tells it like it is. How many know what I'm talking about? And he's doing the same thing. He looks at his disciples and he says this. He says, it is impossible that no offenses should come. 
And it's interesting that when you take a look at the word that Jesus uses to describe this very real problem, it takes on a whole new meaning because the word impossible in this verse means that it's something that's inadmissible, unallowable, or unthinkable. In other words, we could translate what Jesus is saying like this. It's simply unthinkable that you would allow yourself to assume that you could not go through this life and never be offended. Think about that for a moment. Jesus is saying it's impossible for you to go through this life and not get offended. I'll say it again. Jesus is saying it's impossible to go through this life and not get offended. But let me tell you something. Offense is a trap. It's a bear trap. And Jesus is dealing with this because he knows it is just a matter of time before somebody gets their feelings hurt, gets offended, gets ignored, gets put in second place, or whatever it might be. It is a part of you and I being human. And the problem is, is the devil will captivate on that. The devil will take that and he will use it for his purposes. So what we have to do is we have to be aware of this reality. And we have to figure out what to do about it. So let's begin by discovering what an offense is. An offense is one of the most deadly and destructive traps believers will ever face. And the reason why is because this snare is both hidden and baited. I want you to hear what I'm saying. This means that for the majority of Christians this morning, they are completely unaware of the lure, the attractiveness of this trap that pulls them deeper and deeper into the grip of offense. The Greek word for offense in our text is the Greek word scandalon. It's where we get our word scandal from. And the original meaning of this word referred to the part of a trap where they put the bait. You know, if you were to take a mouse trap and you know that little lever on the mouth where you put the, the, the peanut butter on or the cheese on or whatever you use to bait the trap to catch the mouse, that little lever, that little spot, that's the scandalon. That's what Jesus is talking about. That little, that little spot right there. Then later on it, ca- it came to mean the impediment that was placed in the way of our lives, our lives causing us to stumble or to fall. And in a very well, real way what Jesus is telling us is that offense is a hidden booby trap baited to draw you in so that you fall. Amen. And if this is true, then we're going to have to be prepared for it. Can you say amen? Amen. We have to be prepared for this kind of attack. 
We cannot allow ourselves to be either the victim of offense or the offender. We cannot be the victim of offense, nor can we be the offender or the perpetrator. See, an offense can be defined as a feeling of being insulted, slighted, or wronged. It's the emotion we feel when we interpret the words or actions of others that are against us or we perceive they are against us. And most, if not all the time, when we are offended, we're offended because of something called insecurity. And I wish that I could spend the rest of my time here. Because I'm going to tell you something, church. I want to I tell you something. I, I, I'm going to try to do this very quickly because this subject would take probably years to do. But insecurity is birthed out of a, of a condition that came as a result of the fall. And I want to show you very quickly. When Adam and Eve, when Adam, Adam and Eve, <laughs> when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, when they fell to the temptation of eating the fruit in the center of the garden, immediately what happened is there was immediately a separation between them and the Father. Literally, they go from this place of being in perfect union with the Father to now they are fatherless. What they became in a moment of time, what sin did, is it made them orphans. And the natural product of an orphan spirit in working in a person is insecurity. And it is from the seedbed of insecurity, it is from that place where we don't know our identity, it is from that place that everything else seems to grow. That's where we convince ourselves that this would be better than God, whatever this is. No matter what it is. Somehow we get detached from God, and now we begin to struggle and we begin to try to live on our own. We try to forage out our own life. We, we try to hammer that out with him. We were created to work in, in partnership with him, but sin separated us. Salvation reconnects us. The problem is, is that oftentimes we are not taught what that real connection is. We are not taught the identity. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, As many that are in me, they are the sons of God. I give them the power, the right, the privilege to be the sons of God. Romans chapter 8 tells us about sonship, that we are adopted, that we are no longer orphans. And our identity goes on and on and on and on and on. And God spends lots of time throughout the Word of God describing what we are. And here, church, let me just say this to you. The problem is, is the, 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 the modern church, if not the old-time church, spent a lot of time teaching that that was a goal to obtain. 
Well, I'm telling you, the Bible tells us it's, what, it's a position that we're given upon salvation. I am a son of God the moment I get saved. The moment I come into relationship with Christ, the moment my faith connects with his righteousness, with his salvation, his grace, I become a new creature, and that new creature is called a son of God. Fully intact, with all rights and privileges. Everything. Everything. The moment that happens. But what happens to the church, by and large, what religion does is it teaches us that that's not truth. What it does is it says you've now got to strive for that. So what we do is we work and we work and we work and we labor and we work and we work and we work and we try to follow all the rules and we work and we labor and we work and we labor for something that has already been given to us. Are you hearing me? And the problem is, is Paul went to great lengths to say, look at the reason that God did this through grace is because you and I aren't really good at following rules. That's what the law taught us. The law taught us that we couldn't do this on our own. We couldn't follow a set of rules that would bring us into a place of righteousness that what would have to happen is God would have to step into the matter. He would have to make a way, which he did through salvation, through Jesus Christ, through the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. He made a way that the moment we walked in faith, it would be imputed or given, it would be placed on us. Now we have the position of sonship. We are no longer orphans. We are sons. And we can walk in the original plan that God had for us. The problem is, is most of Christianity don't teach that. It teaches we got to work really hard to get there. I always, I always wrestled with this. How is it that God, that Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says that God demonstrates his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How is it that God is so in love with sinners that he's willing to die for them, but the moment we get saved, he is ticked off at his children? How is that? How is it that God looks down at rotten, nasty, ugly, putrid slimy, scummy sinners and say, I love you. But then he looks down at the church and says, you better get it together. You ain't living up to what I think you should be. That dynamic breeds insecurity. And so we don't know who we are. So we don't know how to feel. And so what we do is we connect to all kinds of things to define who we are. And unfortunately, church, it's easier to connect to the negative than it is the positive. And so what happens is we connect to negative comments. We connect to failure. We connect to, oh, I can't live up to what God wants. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do this. And then what happens is we get this thing going and it becomes the lens or the fi filter through which we think life. So the moment we walk into a church and somebody doesn't shake our hand or the moment somebody doesn't speak to us or the moment somebody may say something off to us or their tone is off, rather than looking at them and going, you know, I think they might have had a bad day. We go, what's wrong with you? 
Why aren't you seeing me in the light you should see me? We're offended. Because insecurity has to make us something that we're not. I remember hearing a story years ago. The story went like this, that there was a Christian businessman that worked on Wall Street. They loved God. And one day he got done with work and he had one of those days, those particularly difficult days. You know, we all have them. And he gets on the subway and he's heading back to his apartment. And thank God the subway car that he was in was empty. So he sat there, he had his briefcase, and he just kind of took a deep breath and thought, man, I can just have a little solitude before I get home. Well, he comes to the next stop on the subway, and a younger man, probably in his 30s, mid-30s, gets on the train, and about four kids. And I mean, they're eight and under, and they are rambunctious. They are running through that car, screaming and jumping. And this young man is just sitting there in his seat, and he's got his head in his hands like this, and he, he's, just, he, he's just not, it's like he's just completely disconnected. And the, the businessman, the Christian businessman, he's thinking, man, Lord, I didn't need this. I don't need this. I don't need this. And these kids are jumping around, and now they're invading his space. It's one thing to have them jumping over here, but it's another thing to have them jumping on you. And so they knock his briefcase down. It opens up and the contents spill out. He's gathering all that and finally he can't take it anymore. And he goes over, he gets up out of his chair. He goes over to the man with his head in his hands, the father. And he says, can you please get control of your kids? And the man looks up to him and says, oh, I'm so sorry. We just came to the, from the hospital where we were told my wife, their mother has cancer. And the Christian businessman, everything changed. Why? Because as Paul Harvey said, he had the rest of the story. See, the reason we get offended is because this thing called insecurity, which is birthed out of an orphan spirit, which came all the way at the beginning of time when Adam and Eve sinned, works in us. And it makes us think that life is all about us. And it protects and defends and builds shields. And what happens is it prevents us from understanding there's more to the story. Somebody comes to work in a grumpy mood and you think it's about you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Not really. And what happens is we get offended. And then what, what takes place is offense begins to move in us. It begins to work on us. It begins to speak to us. It begins to tell us all kinds of things. Offense begins to breed frustration and resentment and anger and unforgiveness and bitterness and hatred and jealousy and envy. It thrives. It, be, it thrives in that environment of revenge and self-pity and pride and insecurity. And it, and it renders us vulnerable to attack over and over and over again. And it literally exhausts us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? 
It leaves in its wake wounding and pain and division and separation and broken relationships and betrayal. It generates an, an atmosphere of slander and backbiting and gossip. And now in, in this modern technological day, we have this thing called social media where we now literally air all our dirty laundry to the world. And so now what happens is we literally invite the world into our offense. And the problem is, is that you don't know the rest of the story. When I read something online, what happened to you, I don't know the story. I only know your perspective. You don't even know the rest of the story, but yet now I am making judgments about somebody that I have never met, about an offense that's taking place because something that happened thousands of years ago in a garden that had nothing to do with me because I don't know who I am and I don't know the rest of the story. There's a lot more lack of information than there is truth in this. I've been thinking about this for a while. Because I'm amazed at how easy it is for me to get offended. And I've spent some time studying about my identity. I've spent some time thinking about it. And I think the reason that it's so easy is because it is so natural. That's why we have to make a decision. You are going to be confronted every day with this dynamic to some form or another. And you're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to allow this? Just like I said in the beginning, are you going to be afraid and discouraged? Or are you going to trust the one that's ahead of you, that's holding you by his righteous right hand. He said, where does that come from? Isaiah 41.10. His righteous right hand is holding you. Jesus is dealing with the disciples and he tells them this in verse 1 of seven, Luke 17. And you got to imagine these disciples, they had seen stuff happen with Jesus that was overwhelming. I mean, think about it. Jesus has done stuff that no one has ever done. He's raised the dead. He's fed thousands with a few loaves of bread. He's done all this amazing stuff. And you would think that's what would challenge their faith. But not so. That's not the big challenge. Listen to verses 3 through 5 of Luke 17. Jesus speaking. He says, Take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you or if you get offended, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And listen, and the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. I, love, I just love the honesty of the Bible. I just love... The fact that these guys are going, wow, Lord, 
You told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. You told us to go cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead, do all this stuff. But the thing that challenged them is to forgive their brother. Amen. So, so what do we got to do? Well, I think there's some things that we have to do. If we're going to overcome this, if we're going to work through the offense that comes our way from time to time, the Word of God gives us, I believe, some clear direction from getting released or for getting released from this trap. And number one is the first step in handling it is to determine if there really was an offense or not. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 18, 15. Matthew 18, 15. He says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him. If he hears you, you've gained a brother. I love that first part, moreover, if. Sometimes we're think, we think we're offended when we haven't been, really. Do you know why? Because offense is a habit. And you know what's funny is earlier in my notes I had an illustration and I'll go ahead and read it to you real quick because we are obsessed with offense in America. One man wrote this. He says, American society has become obsessed with being offended. Every time you watch the news, you are met with dozens of stories of how people are offended with what a politician, a leader, or a comedian has said or done. But are we really offended, or are we just using the word in substitution for being challenged by our own insecurities? The distinction between disliking or disagreeing with somebody and being offended by it is a lot more convoluted than that, than it should be. The phrase, I'm offended, has basically been reduced to telling the world you can't control your own emotions, so everyone else should do it for you. Declaring something or someone is offensive does not allow for relationship and communication. It is simply a linguistic roadblock that stops the conversation completely. And we have gotten into a habit of that. America is offended with everything. Everything. I mean, that's why we're removing statues. We are rewriting history because we just don't want to be offended by the truth of it all. So the first thing that we have to do to solve this problem is to determine whether there really is an offense. And Jesus says, if your brother, did he really sin against me or am I just being a little sensitive? Am I just, maybe it's my identity that got challenged. Maybe I am not what I need. See, and I think the point of that is, is that I take responsibility for me, not you. In other words, what I do is, if something you say comes my way, I have a choice of how I'm going to respond. I get to choose how I respond to that. And am I going to allow offense? Am I going to allow this spirit to get on me? And to motivate me and to say, oh, look it, they don't like you. Amen. The second thing the Bible tells us 
to go to the offender alone. He says, if you have, if you actually have been offended, if something is legitimate, because from time to time there are legitimate things that happen, he says, go to your brother alone. Notice what he doesn't say. Go to your best friend and talk to them about it so they know all the dirty details of what happened to you so that they could talk to their best friend and their best friend and you could draw about 40 people into this before you ever talk to the person that offended you. Go to them alone because it's between you and them. The greatest offense in handling offense is involving others that have nothing to do with it. Do you know why we do that? Is because we like people on our side. <clears throat> See, as a counselor, I, I've been counseling. I, it hit me the other day. I just, I don't know why. I think Kathy mentioned something on, the, on September 12th was my 34th year of ordination. I got ordained uh, uh, September 12th, 1988. So it's been 34 years of ordination. And so in that, I've had a lot of experience in counseling. And the thing is, is the thing that I notice about counseling, no matter who you counsel, even the best of the best, we always present our situation in our best light. If I got a problem, I'm always going to tell the story to make me look good. Yep. Have I ever made mistakes? I've made horrible mistakes. Horrible mistakes. But when I tell the story, I'm not going to tell you how bad it was. So I'm, I'm going to give myself a little grace. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so what we do is we bring other people in to make us feel better about the problem. See, if I've been offended or if, if I'm feeling offended, I want Rosemary and Katie to be on my side because they make me feel better about my offense. Because if Kathy says, you know, if Kathy, you know, Kathy's my wife, but if she ain't doing what she's supposed to do, I'll go talk to uh, Katie and Rosemary and say, you know, if you had a wife like my wife, Because it makes me feel better. Go to them alone. Number three, our primary objective should be to win our brother and sister. Jesus says the goal is to gain a brother, is to repair the relationship. I was at a Bible conference a few years back and in the conference, they did a, the church did a, uh, a panel discussion. I love panel discussions because you can ask questions and all this kind of thing. And this particular church, they have lots of people on staff. It's a church of multiple thousands of people. And, and, and the, the senior leadership of the church are, is comprised of people that are very driven. They're those, you know, very strong personalities but they all seem to get along and the question came up somebody raised their hand and said you know we recognize that you guys are all people that are very driven in your particular area and you are all very strong personalities how is it that you seem to be able to get anything done without just murdering one another and they 
spoke up, the leader, the, the, the guy that was leading it all, he said, you know, we made a determination that we were going to value relationship above being right. You are more important to me than my need to be right. And so I'm going to honor you. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to just be just boldly honest. That is so necessary, but it is so difficult. Because again, that kind of thing comes back down to identity. Because the thing that assaults that is our insecurities. To be humble. To humble ourselves to let someone else step up in front of us. It's hard. But they learn to do it. They, they learn to honor people around them and to say, no, no, we'll go your way. They learned to walk in that. They learned to value relationship. And that is what Jesus is talking about. Value the relationship. If you walk into church, and I, I know I'm using examples, but these are very real. If you walk into church and you feel like somebody snubbed you, if I, if I walk into church and I walk by Katie and she doesn't say anything to me, and then I feel like, wow, man, she's ignoring me, then go to her. Value your relationship with her and say, hey, Katie, is everything okay? You all right? You doing good? She might look at you and go, no, man, my kids are going nuts and this is happening and that's happening and you know what? People that have hearing aids, you know, on and on. And she should, and you go, oh, well, okay, I get it. She's having a tough day. And you know what? You discovered there's no offense. You weren't really offended. There wasn't really anything going on. It wasn't really about you. It was about her. And you know what? You actually helped her. But if she does look at you and says, you know what? Yeah, there is a problem. You said this to me and you hurt my feelings the other day. Now you have the opportunity to work it out and to solve it. And the devil won't get the credit. And you may find out in all of this, and this is the fourth thing, it may not been you that was offended, but you were the offender. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 through 24 says this, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come offer your gift. Be aware that as we're traveling through life, we do bump into each other, and it may in fact be you doing the bumping. And if you have, then go repair it quickly. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And as I bring this to a close, one man said this. He says, God wants to use the opportunities for offense to give you a new heart. An unoffendable heart cannot be overcome. See, God is calling us to overcome the spirit of offense by literally giving up our right to be offended. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And I don't think there's ever been a time, at least in my lifetime, where we've needed to walk more diligently 
in the power of God's grace and deliberately not in the spirit of offense. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Why don't you bow your heads with me for a moment? Father, we just thank you so much for what you're doing in this place. Father, we pray, God, that you would help us, that you would encourage us. Father, we do pray against that spirit of offense. We take authority over it right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we bind it and we cast it out. And Father, right now, I pray that every person that's in this room listening to my voice, God, would feel that challenge to say, wait a second, let me, let me pay attention to this. Let me, let me be aware of what's really going on here. Father, I pray, God, that you would help us and encourage us. Lord, strengthen us, God. And I pray, Lord, for those that may have been offended, that are carrying wounds. Father, I pray, God, that your gentle grace would come upon them. Lord, begin the process of healing. Help them to have the courage, God, to go make it right. Whether they've been offended or whether they are the offender. Lord, help us to walk in the identity God, that you've given us as children of God through salvation. Oh, Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask the prayer team if they come, the ministry team, if they'd come up real quick. Come on up front. and Before you go today, if you have a need of any kind, you say, you know what, I'm here and I just need somebody to pray for me, to, to lay hands on me or to... Just, I just need to share with them or talk with them. Come on up, let them minister to you. Let them pray for you and let them uh, just believe God with you. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to release you today. God bless you. You guys have a great day. Go love one another. Enjoy your Sunday afternoon. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.